Joe Williams is a former NRL player, a boxer, and is an advocate for mental health, particularly in Indigenous communities around the country in Australia. In this chat today, we have a good chat about parenting. We have a really big talk about the difference between Indigenous and non-Indigenous tribes. And we talk about the way it takes a village to raise a kid. He's a really interesting bloke, and I think you're really going to enjoy this chat with Joe Williams. All right, Joe Williams, tell me why it's good being you. Uh, depends who's asking. <laughs> I'm asking, man. Tell me. There's many, there's many aspects of me that people don't like, um, but there's there's also bits bits of me that that are, are quite quirky and interesting and 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 very different to a lot of people. I think differently about a lot of things. Um, I'm I'm someone and and someone with a history of bipolar disorder. Um, I've got a, a really cool uh, slide that I show in in all of the sessions that I do in school because because people who struggle with mental health challenges it's it's usually framed in a really negative negative way, right? Um, but this slide talks about all the positives that are associated with with having a mental illness, um, and 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 when it comes to bipolar disorder, like it says people with bipolar disorder are extremely creative well i tick that box when with mania and but also um someone who's really uh observant so i'm someone who observes people's behaviors to the nth degree um and i question why um i think a lot of the time that that makes me good at what i do because i know that and Arnie judy atkinson um leading trauma uh, specialist throughout the country um Aunty Judy always talks about behaviour as language. And when we look at people's behaviours, it speaks to us in language that, that we often judge when we look at different negative behaviours in community, especially with young people. We just go, oh, they're, they're, they're a terrible kid. But we don't have a look at what, what they're trying to tell us. We don't have a look at how they behave, why they behave, you know, what, what's the, the challenges that are going on in these young people's lives. So I'm someone who likes to delve in deep to that. Nice. There's, there's that quote that the... The ones in most need of love often do the most unlovable behaviours. Oh, and that's, that's true so that? true, isn't it? How true is it? You have a look at like all projecting type behaviours, whether it be any type of negative behaviours in communities, in a lot of the communities and schools and so forth that I'm in. Like I go to like juvenile justice centres and, and jails and things like that. And, and you have a look at it and I go, you know what? We were all just born. We were all born like fresh, right? With some inherited traits that we have genetically and chemically. But when you have a look at, you know, a lot of work by a guy, I, I watch a lot of his stuff on YouTube, Nathan Wallace. He talks about the first thousand days and we talk and, and what we know about the first thousand days in a, a person's life is that every single person is shaped by the first thousand days in their life, right? And, and it's super interesting when you have a look at that and delve deep into it. And it's not just the first thousand days this side of life. It's nine months in the womb and right. the impact that negative behaviours can have in the environment outside the baby and, and being in that womb. So what that happens chemically to the mother's brain in releasing stress hormones and cortisol and so forth directly impacts the baby and, and then, you know, enables the baby to be hypervigilant around mm. different things. So, um, and then we look at the, the the first two years of life, this side of life after babies have been born, 
what they hear, what they see, the interactions around attachment, all of those sort of things. So every single person, every single adult is a product of their first thousand days. So once you understand that and you have a look at that, I pick people apart because I can understand their behaviors. I'll say, well, this this guy's got mum issues or dad issues. And, and you know, I've openly said um, I, I left my my first marriage when when my when my um, my daughter was only you know a couple of years old, there's every chance she'll have dad issues, male issues, male associated issues for the rest of her life. Not chasing the boys that she loves, but chasing the the love from her dad that she always craved. And yeah. So looking at attachment type things with that, um, and understanding what that is and how that plays out with people, it all comes back to childhood trauma, man. Yeah. Well, what? A- when you when you look at that and you look at yeah you look at things like the Romanian orphanages back in the eighties where they weren't even allowed to pick up the kids they got nothing, and the problem is that when that happens they don't get the right sort of connections with things like oxytocin and stuff like that they they feel oxytocin instead of feeling I get loved I get hugged I feel safe they look at that as in like I feel abandoned I feel scared I feel on my own and that makes it really hard to have a, a lasting relationship in your life doesn't it huge hugely like i deal with that now like someone who's super clued onto this sort of stuff i've got to actually check myself at times and go hang on a minute why am i feeling like that what is it that i haven't addressed that is it like is forcing me to feel such disconnection or feel such abandonment in certain ways now i for one put my hand up and say that i was loved and looked after my like from all of my childhood Mm-hmm. I can't I can't ever say that I wasn't um, and that I wasn't abused or anything like that. Like I, I, I'm extremely lucky, but having conversations with my parents around different things and it's and it's it's stuff of the time, right? Like you know, you may have heard it or you may not have heard it, but but how some parents say, "Don't pick up that child when they're crying; it'll spoil mm-hmm. them." You know, like don't don't always pick them up when they're crying. And, and the message that gives to the actual baby is not that that the, the baby in that instant is crying out for everything they need because of some type of discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. And when that baby doesn't get picked up or doesn't get soothed and, you know, their, their emotions start to regulate, well, the chemistry starts to regulate in their, their brain and their mind, that thinks that, that that the baby then thinks that well, no one must love me. And when we have a look at it, like that is so far from the truth. With some parents, they they, they would do anything that they possibly can to love their kids. But what we don't know is that the impact that the way that we treat our kids, particularly around attachment and particularly around the, the love and care and, and nurturing that we give them in the first thousand days will impact them for the rest of their life. So we I did, I did, a, I did a, just one really one really quick thing. I, I did a clip um one of my on my YouTube channel. Um it was around, you know how we we always say, oh kids are resilient, they'll get over it. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the, here's the thing, like that science and, and the research shows that we actually don't get over it. Like what we still carry to, it, don't we? Yeah, what what it does to us chemically um and then genetically it it actually rewires a lot of you know some of the some of the pathways in our brain so we don't just get over it we build coping mechanisms to get through it 
that's where the challenge is. And those coping mechanisms, a lot of the time, manifest into behaviours as adults that aren't particularly good. So when we look, when you look back at yourself, and you've done you've done some amazing things. You played NRL at the top level. You've been a you know you've been a world champion junior boxer and done some really really cool stuff around that. And when you look back, this has obviously been a journey where you've been learning all of this stuff and you're really all over it now and you're going around and teaching it in schools and, and helping a whole bunch of people with mental health issues. How do you go about being able to look back to how you were as a father early on and how to, um, how to sort of almost mitigate some of, the, some of the things that's going on with that? How do you, how do, you deal yeah. with that? Confronting as heck, man. Confronting yeah, it is. as heck. Like when you look at it and, and – the reason I started to get into this stuff around trauma is, is that two reasons, right, is that when we look at First Nation people of this country, the, the, the suicide rates are incredible as far as, you know, like, um, you know, hugely alarming rates. Um, it's about five times the non-Indigenous people, isn't it? Compared to non-indigenous, it's about five times. Is that? I don't know the exact number at the moment. I don't know the exact number at the moment, but it's but it's incredible compared to non-indigenous people, right? It's way higher than it should be. Yeah, way way higher than it should be. One death's too many, right? But when we look at that, and 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 we start to understand that 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 First Nation people aren't particularly dying by mental health related suicides. We're dying by trauma-related suicides and the impacts of trauma and the behaviours are a reflection of trauma, right? And trauma, when I mean trauma, I mean not just physical, emotional, even sexual trauma that that happens, unfortunately, in some people's lives. I'm talking about learning behaviours that are toxic in a lot of our communities. So when I went back and had a look at what I was doing, I needed to learn more about it, um, and what I started to uncover was, hey, Joe, you got some work to do here, man, because I was married and then separated and left two children in that relationship, and then I repartnered and had another child and left that relationship when he was only a couple of months old. I, if we're looking at the, the impact of trauma to behaviours later in life from the first 1,000 days, I've traumatised my first three kids straight off the bat. Me. No one else. Me. It's like, almost like that, that speedboat leaving a wake behind them, isn't it? That it's like... I 100% what it is. And, right, and it hits you smack in the face and I go, wow. I, I did, a, I did a, a, another clip on my, on my YouTube, but also I've, I've written an article that I haven't published yet that it's... And it's titled, I've unknowingly traumatised my kids. Um, and it talks about... Have you had those conversations with the kids, though? Yeah, like you I obviously have. would now. Obviously, the, How old are your kids the now? Older two, the older two, right? So the older two are 16 and 15. Right. Um, and then the younger ones are a little bit my, – my, my third one, you know, I, I'm lucky. I get, a, I get to spend a fair bit of time with him. He's with me, you know, every, every second weekend and during the week and that sort of stuff because we live in the same town. But with the older ones, it's been, it's been a difficult, difficult challenge because the ch- teenagers, man – I, teenagers is a whole different ball game, isn't it? You know, when you're trying to raise teenagers, um, particularly boy, uh, well, boys and girls. Have, like I've got a daughter who's 19 now, and yeah, you know, she's she's turned out great and all of that sort of stuff. But I've no doubt, I have no doubt that my kids will turn out okay. But it's just been tricky in these initial stages, particularly the young girl. 
right? She's she's a staunch young girl that don't take a backward step for anyone, struggling with different challenges that she may be going through mentally and emotionally because of what her dad did, right? And and I've had these conversations, and, and I'm not talking out of school here, and I never would. Um, I've had these conversations with my older kids, and I owe them everything because it's my um, it's my job for the rest of my life now to rebuild uh, rebuild that attachment, but also uh, heal some of the different challenges that they may be going through because of separations that I've had. But there's there's something really really refreshing about that in that one how much you're owning that, which is huge. Right, and just the fact that you've actually stopped and had to think about it enough to completely own it, and then ask the question, "Well, what can I do to make this better for them?" Not, not what can I do right now to make me feel better? Yeah. So, so and that, that's that's something we've got to teach people how to do. I think that I I don't think that's an accountability that enough people have because we're too busy pointing the finger at who did it to us. Yeah, maybe not what we do to others. Right? It all started with a conversation with my dad, right? And and I'm someone who's I'm a serial learner around different podcasts and and um, audio books and YouTube clips and so forth like that. Um, so I'm always listening and learning and then relating it directly back to my life. Um, I, one thing I learned early in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is um, don't listen to the differences, listen to the similarities. Right, so so listen to the similarities in these different stories and how this has impacted on my journey. I, I sat down with my dad and I said, "Dad, I was I've, I've been critical. I've been critical for for different things that we've gone through in our life. Not because I was abused or anything like that. My dad loved me always, right? Um, but because there were times where I, I wanted my dad to be like the other dads, right? Okay. And, and in I what ways wasn't he? Well, it was just that my dad. <laughs> My dad wasn't a very affectionate person. He wasn't a very loving person, right? But again, I don't look at what, I look at why. I don't look at what's going on or what what happened. I look at why it's going on, right? Someone, again, diving in deep, right? And my dad sort of, he got his back up a bit and he was like, yeah, but, and I was like, just let me finish. I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this, right? My dad lost his dad at nine, right? My dad lost his dad at nine. And come from a family with like 10 or 11 kids. I said, How on earth can I be critical of my dad when he never had a dad around to teach him how to be one? Mm. Right? So, so he was living on survival his entire life. Right. And some of the best and, and most deep conversations have come with me and my dad around this stuff and how it's impacted me. But then I said, this is where it stops. I, I, I draw the line in the sand now because I'm not letting my kids go through the same things. Yeah. Right? I, I impacted it on my, my, my older two. I've got to do better by the younger three now and all five um, to do the best that, that I possibly can, you know. Like, and it's never too late to learn this stuff. And it's what we know now about the science and the research around this stuff is that just by forming loving connections with our loved ones, it actually constructually change our brain patterns and the trauma within our body. Like not next generation, like now, 
if we're, if we're giving love and care, it can actually work. The neuroscience and what we know, it's called neuroplasticity. What we know with the brain, it's like an elastic band. It's forever, you know, moving and growing and with the different pathways and so forth. So all I can do now is continue to be the best that I can, being aware of different behaviours that I have, um, but also not letting other people's behaviours impact on me as well. That's a big one. There's a real, there's a real thing that comes across listening to you is there's a there's an immense amount of curiosity in there, and I remember I remember reading the book Freakonomics. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there's there's a thing in that, and they did a study on what made the best parents, and they looked at all the things like socioeconomic backgrounds and you know whether they what their parents are like, all of those things, and the one thing that stood out was everyone who was a good parent bought the parent, so they intentionally wanted to learn something on how to be a parenting. Good parents. Was that one of the, the parenting book? Or? Yeah, maybe. But one of the things about it is they didn't even have to read the book. Just to have cared enough to have bought it was enough to sort of say, "Well, I'm going to, right? I'm going to deliberately want to be a better parent be and yeah. be curious about it." And I think that's what you're doing now. And I reckon in in all of our communities, if we can get a little bit more deliberate and a little bit more curious about that sort of stuff, I think it's going to make a big deli- difference both in this generation and the next. I think we're all. Well, I know we're all a product of, of our own upbringing, right? And looking at different times throughout history, there were, there were babies born in the war. Mm-hmm. So there, there were, you know, I listened loads to uh, a guy called Dr. Gabor Mate, who's yeah, he's uh, fantastic. You know, he does loads of work yeah. around trauma and addiction, right? And, you know, he was, he was brought up in the Jew, during the Jewish occupation. Mm-hmm. And, and, you can imagine the behaviours that are learnt during those times around, again, it isn't out of hate or neglect for kids. It's out of keeping kids safe, right, mm. and trying to protect kids from outside influence of what could impact on their lives. Like I 100% believe that every single, like, like parent, Anyone who's got a parent who's who's a parent to 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 a child, I genuinely believe that everyone loves their kids. It's just that we've been impacted by different traumas, which are gonna impact the way we behave to our kids. That's the stuff we're gonna stop. Yeah, it's a matter of finding that those right mentors too, isn't it? And the 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 old thing about you know it takes a village to raise a kid. I think that's changed now. I like that the idea hasn't, but we're not doing it anymore. We're well, not allowing, uh, yeah, you go give someone a bit of parenting advice and see how it goes. It goes over like a cup of cold sick almost every time. Well, the, the, this, is, this is what, and, and this is where Gabor Mate talks a lot about the First Nation communities around the world, Indigenous communities around the world. That's how we lived. We lived, like, we, we, we never had a singular mum or dad. We had several mums and dads that had responsibility to look after and nurture and take care of our kids. And that also meant that our kids had several people to look at for attachment, for learning. Role models. For role models, right? And that whole concept of it takes a village to raise a child is probably centred around, if our people are the longest documented, uh, you know, historically the longest Documented um, continuous civilization continuous on earth. Civilization on earth. It's probably a fair chance that's where that started, mm-hmm. right? Like we never, we ne- we we had a a 
a village that literally raised our kids. Do you feel as if Indigenous communities have got that still now or is that... 100% they do. They still do? Yes, 100% they do. And this is where the systems that we have in place around child protection mess it up, right? And I've been critical of this in the past. Okay. Now, I'm 100%... I'm 100% mindful that that also if it, if a child is in any type of danger, they shouldn't be in danger, right? That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is is that if 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 I have my kids that aren't staying at my house and are staying at one of their kin family's house, one of their aunties or uncles or close relations' house, that's still our family. We don't have first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, fifteenth yeah. cousin. We just have family. Yeah, right. And, and and so this is where a lot of the a lot of those systems like get it wrong is that we think that just because one, two, three kid isn't staying at their parents' house, they're not loved. No, they're still staying with family. It's yep. just that family doesn't live under the one roof. So it probably is taking a village. One hundred percent it still is. One hundred percent it still is. And this is where non-Indigenous Australia can learn a stack load from. It was that that whole concept of what you just said. It takes a village to raise a child. Right now, we don't have villages raising children. We have a parent, we have two parents that can only learn, that kids can only learn off two people, which is going to set us up for you know not so good behaviors later in life because we're only learning the one way of living. We have a look at it and we've got some, we've had some failed parenting strategies over the journey. Like I'm, I'm probably a, the generation older than you and our parents were very much like get on with it, come in when, come in when it gets dark and all of that sort of stuff. And we were resilient and we kind of, yeah, we're the first generation that had both parents at work and things like that. And we were resilient and got through that okay. As parents, my generation were very much, here's your seventh place ribbon, everything, you know, aren't you wonderful? You're wonderful because you're wonderful. And I'm not sure that really works either. We don't sort of, um, we just tell them they're wonderful without them having to try. So a lot of the time they don't actually try, which I know there's two sides to that. Yeah, I'm not sure there's a great deal of resilience at the moment. No, and I think that's why we haven't, we haven't, if you look at Carol Dweck's work from Stanford on, on growth mindsets and stuff, that we need to, we need to praise. And I remember reading an article called The Power and Peril of Praising Kids. And one of the things it said, it talks about Carol Dweck's work, is that don't praise anything that's innate. Don't praise, oh, gee, you're tall or, gee, you're beautiful or anything like that. You've got to praise effort, all right? And I, I think we've lost sight of that a little bit. We're just praising for the sake of praising. So I think I, and, and, and where, where, my, my, where my attention is around that sort of stuff, yes, we're praising for the sake of it now because well, that's what we all should do. We should encourage everyone, right? But I think we're encouraging the wrong things. What we should be encouraging is the values in our life, our value systems. We don't have value systems anymore. You know, we should be encouraging respect, encouraging gratitude, encouraging humility, you know, things like that. Well, we don't we don't encourage that. We we encourage things now based on performance, right? So, but we but instead of saying, you know, you showed a stack load of resilience there to keep going when things weren't going your way, we'd just say, Oh, well done, champ. You know, that's great. We're praising the outcome, not the effort. I think so. And, yeah, okay. and we're, we're praising the effort with with win or loss scenario rather than value scenario of you know which which can be so much. It just hits so much deeper. 
So with your work, you do a lot of work in schools and stuff with kids. Do you do much work with parents as well? Do you get the parents from the school in, particularly with Indigenous communities and stuff like that? Because I, I would have thought we could, we could all, as parents, I could use a lot of people making us more curious like you are. Yeah, I, I do. I do work with all people. So it, it, it's not that I only do work in, in, in First Nation communities. It's just that I'm a First Nation man and and our mob relate to our mob, right? Yeah. So um, for me, it's, it's about just every single individual that I come across, every single individual that I, that, that I impact and integrate with, it's, it's just about trying to help them be the best version of themselves and what that looks like. You know, like, again, we're looking at parenting systems. There's a lot of time, it's not because kid, parents don't love their kids, it's because they don't know how to show love to their kids. Like if you they weren't taught parents, as kids themselves, they, their parents didn't teach them. They weren't taught it. That's a conditioned thing that we take for granted, mm. right? And and I do I do that with stack loads of with not just not just parents. I'm I mean professionals and CEOs and and people who just lack empathy in their life because they're just hellbound on 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 the bottom dollar when it comes to business you know well they just so, become your default values don't they money's a very easy default value i'll just i know that if i have enough of that that's keeping score i'm doing well so money just becomes a thing that people go to as a default and it's a really terrible default certain parts of the community yeah yeah but my community we our default ain't money because we never had it right right we, we, we've never had it so yeah, right. we have to get by on values of looking after each other of making sure that again, First Nation communities, not just not just in this country, but right throughout the world, Indigenous communities right throughout the world, were always collectivist people, right? We never had a money system, but we had like a trading system and sharing system. So it was always about feeding the next person before you fed yourself, yeah. and then if everyone's fed, then you get a feed. Like that's that's that, that's how it is, right? So it, what we need to do is 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 start to have a look at and respect the differences in people's worldview because it can be very, very different, but we don't. We What we do, and a perfect example, right, is that, is that the poor little Indigenous kids are lower than, lower than average on the numeracy and literacy scale, right? I go into communities where they speak five different languages before they go to school. Mm. How many people in Canberra who assess these bloody uh, tests, how many people speak more than one language? Like these kids are so incredibly smart, but because we judge them on a particular system, because their worldview is different to ours, it makes them less than. Yeah. Right? Now, me as an Aboriginal man, who's someone who thought I was strong in culture, I go up there and realise I don't know a thing, Right? But you have an innate curiosity that that would cover up a multitude of sins with that because you're, you're going to go into someone like that, realise what you don't know, and you're going to find out because you're, you're a curious human. Yeah. How, yeah, how do we try and instil that? Like I, I work with a, a school called the Mob Academy, which is actually a school for boys that have kind of slipped through the gaps of all the other schools. And one of the things I really get from working with them is that they don't have an emotional vocabulary at all. They cannot tell you how emotions feel, what they are, and how do, we, how do you manage to get that through? In Where does that come from? Well, you get taught it from your parents. You were well, thought. 
It's learned. All you see is happy, sad, or angry. Angry. That's all you see. Right? Yeah. And we see angry a lot of the time, and particularly when we're talking about these type of schools, we see angry a lot. Right? And, again, we're looking at the different systems of what that enacts in our, in our brain, which puts us into that fight or, fight or flight mechanism, which, again, is built for us as a safe-bound mentality to keep us safe, mm-hmm. but in a lot of cases... In an environment 10,000 years ago where there was safety, and Yeah, our safety isn't questioned, mm-hmm. but those systems are still being enacted, right? So what the challenge is with a lot of it, we only know hot, cold, fast, slow, right? Angry, so the scale of being cool and happy to being absolutely skyrocketing high or sad, right? In the middle is happier, happier where we are now. We don't know anxiety. We don't know, you know, uncertainty, right? So this is where we have challenges with a lot of kids because they don't know it. And what happens, the default is to get out. Yep. Right? Or the punch off. To get out or punch on, right? So, again, fight or flight. There's a really right. cool cool concept called precarious manhood. And one of the things I've noticed that particularly in, in places like Silicon Valley and stuff in the States, the, a lot of people that, that rise to the top are former like Navy SEALs and NFL players and stuff like that that have proven how manly they are so they don't have to keep proving how manly they are. And I think there's an element of that with young boys these days that because we're not giving them a rites of passage to go from boy to man, uh, I work with Arne Rubenstein a little bit in the Rites of Passage Institute, and they're doing amazing work. And well, your system does. Our system still does. Right. Our system very much still does. What 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 does what does a rites of passage look like in an? So it's about responsibility. It's about responsibility, and what it was like for, for for thousands of years, we had concepts around different things of what we did right, and I'll, I won't get into the, the different things. That's that's not important, but it's about the. It's about it's about the rite of passage in, in being being looked at, treated as a boy, to then the actual uh, the path that you take to go through those different parts in your life, which then when you come back from those different parts of life, you are viewed differently. Mm. You are viewed and respected as a man because of the the rite of passage, right? But also the responsibility that comes with that is the important thing. Are they still are they still doing that in indigenous communities? Are they having a formal rites of passage sort of ceremony and procedures and stuff that they do? It hasn't stopped in many, 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 many communities. Great. It's just a lot of the a lot of the east coast and southern states. It's it's been well, obviously we, we know the history of colonization. We know that the destruction that that's caused and what that has happened, what that the, the issues that that has caused with that, right, is is being the, the the struggle of two worlds, right? I talk about this a lot, is that particularly with Aboriginal people, we, we're strong in one world, not strong in the other, right? So in the southern parts of the country, in the eastern parts of the country, we are strong in the, in the white world, the introduced world that was here 230-odd years ago, right, of going to school and paying taxes and working and, nine to five jobs and all of those sort of things. But we are super disconnected 
from our, our, our original identity of who we are. We, we are lost. Like I grew up as an Aboriginal man, I always knew I was Aboriginal, but I was too black to be white, too white to be black. I didn't fit in either world. Which is really, really common now, isn't it? That- it's hugely common, right? But then you have a look at different parts in the country. This is going from the experiences that I've had sitting in this country. I don't speak for them, not one, not one bit. But the different experiences I've had with different parts of the country, they are super strong in the cultural world, but then struggle in the introduced world. Mm. Where we find balance is the key. Learning, yeah. to, learning to walk in both worlds. So that's where that's where balance is. So a lot of a lot of what I do is about going around and talking to young people about the balance, about the importance of going to school. And you know what? I, I talk about the importance of going to school. The absolute best thing that ever happened out of or out of all the money that NRL players earn. I didn't earn a you know a great deal of money at all. The best thing that I earned out of an out of the NRL was I got my 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 entire schooling paid for with my first contract, right? right. So that I, I was lucky to be educated really well. Um, that put me on a path to sit down and have uh, diverse conversations in depth about different topics that I can do now, right? But someone who didn't know, who struggled with his identity until he was 30 years of age, you know, and then those struggles play out through alcohol and drugs through misconceptions of who I should be. And again, the practices that were taken away from us on the East Co- on the East Coast that shape the responsibility responsibility of who we should be as a First Nation man. Are, are there enough people like yourself as, as First Nation leaders out there that are getting the impact they need? Well, it depends on what, what what system you're talking about. You know, like, I mean, to keep, right, to keep so, so there's, all of those, yeah, all of those there's judgment. There's a judgment right there. Like unknowingly, there's a judgment right there. Okay. So I'm, I'm someone who goes into a really strong cultural community. I'm not a leader. I've got to sit down there with someone who's only just put his fingertip, uh, fingertips in the in a bowl of water to start to try and get this thirst for knowledge that I've missed out on for the first 30 years of my life. Yeah, wow. So I'm, but I'm treated as a as a First Nation leader because I'm I'm well versed and can speak well in the white world. Yet I go and sit in the bush with ten year old kids and don't have a sit and have a clue at what I'm doing. Yeah, wow. So we've got to have a look at what systems do we value leaders in, right? So again, I'm I'm someone who I don't see myself above anyone. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not a leader. I'm just lucky enough to be to be able to walk in two worlds at the moment, right? I'm not anywhere near as strong as I should be, or I could be, or I'm learning to be in in one particular world. And I'm learning more and more about, you know, the white world. And and, and that didn't come from school. I'll give you the tip. Okay. It came from after school. It came from curiosity, man. You're a curiosity. You're a curious dude. I'm someone who asks questions. Yeah. I'm someone who asks questions, and and I think and my dad. It comes from my dad. My dad. My dad is by far the smartest human being that I've ever ever interacted with, and didn't go a day past year eight at school. Mm-hmm. So, so it tells me that the school system gives us an education. Life gives us knowledge. Well, school prepares prepares us perfectly for a world that no longer exists. Well, it, it, tell no. me if you know much about Pythagoras theorem anymore. 
Yeah, there's some of the t- some of the squares of the two sides, but don't, I haven't used it too often. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I didn't. I, I passed one subject at school. Right. I passed one subject at school. Right, and I was a professional sportsman for fifteen years, and it wasn't even PE. <laughs> yeah. Right, but it I, is something I, that I passed, it's. I passed music. That was it. It is such a shame that we we tend and people tend to carry this with them is how well they did at school is how well they they see how smart they are and it's just so wrong it's just so far wrong it's crazy. That- I talk about uni right when I was when I was at I I went and did a um at University of Wollongong uh, Indigenous trauma recovery practice um right and we're all stressing about about our marks right until the head lecturer she gets up and says she said. It doesn't suggest what marks you get on your certificate at the end, you know. <laughs> Please get degrees. All you got to do is just get the pass, man. Mm. You know, and then we just went, oh, you know, like we should be setting kids up for life yeah. rather than rather than setting kids up for anxiety and stress with the HSC. Do you think? Do you, well, there's a little. You can push back on that too. That there's a little element is you've got to learn how to get good at stress, and I think that's the bit they're missing out on with the HSC. They're throwing the stress on them, and they're not giving them the tools on how to deal with it better. It's life management, right? Yeah, isn't it's it? All things like like it's 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 all types of things. Like we're going to learn how to manage money. You know, like one thing that that our communities, Aboriginal communities, I, I listen to a podcast and and talking about financial wealth and, and, and things like that, right? And a lot of our communities aren't taught, aren't taught about the basics of financial freedom, like because we're out here trying to survive. Mm-hmm. I, I'm no different. Just because I played 10 years in the NRL, I, mate, I, I got bankruptcy out of that, you know, because of some, some rubbish behaviours that I learned while I was there. You know, that's not a blame of anyone else. It's a, that's that's my life and my. Journey. You're not on your own with that one. A lot of professional sportsmen end up in the same boat. Yeah, I, I get it, man. So again, we're not taught. We're not taught about financial literacy. Mm-hmm. We're not taught about how to manage different scenarios in our life, which then formulate and 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 manifest in distress and stress. It's an emotional literacy as well. Exactly, and 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 emotion, emotional literacy and, and financial and emotional stress. Then manifests into physical physical illness. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all documented and researched now. Yeah, isn't it? So, what what does the future hold for you? What what's what's up in the next few years of Joe Williams's life? What what, would, what message would you like to get out there? I can't give too much away, mate. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm someone who's always doing something. Um, working on something pretty big at the moment, which is pretty exciting and pretty cool. Right. Um, yeah, it's around a conversation that I've been having for about five or six years, that a conversation that's getting louder and louder. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, personally with the work that I'm doing, um, looking at trying to do things a little bit differently. You know, I was someone who was on the road 310, 315 plus days in the year. Wow. Um, out to all different communities. So I'd be just bouncing from community to community. Go, literally leave here at 6 o'clock. I live in the country. I live in Dubbo. New South Wales to leave, yep. literally leave here at this, on the 6.30 flight Monday morning and return in on the 5.30 flight Friday afternoon. Right. With three little kids at home. So, with, with, right. with, two ki- with two kids in our household. Right. Um, and, mate, the, you know, all credit to the boss. I don't know how she does it because when, when uh, uh, I, I talk about my partner, Courtney, um, 
when I say with a boss, because she, you know, she rules the roof. So um, when when it was time for, she's an essential worker. She's a childcare worker, so she had to go to work, and mm-hmm. and I had to look after the kids and host oh, and actually be a dad. It was like again one of those self development type things that I went through last year. I was like, holy shit, I don't know how to be a dad, man. <laughs> You know, like a full time one's hard. It's easy when you're a father. I've been a father for 16 years, but I've been a dad for six months. Yeah, right. You know, it's super confronting learning how to how to you know put your baby down for a nap and and feed them and then do Zoom meetings and schedule all that sort of stuff in at the same time. Man, I was I was coming over the house was messy. <laughs> she wasn't impressed. I'll give you the tip. Oh, <laughs> uh, Joe, mate, it's been great talking to you. I'm loving the work you do. And uh, if people want to get hold of you, how do we do that? Mate, my website is just www.joewilliams.com.au. My Instagram is joewilliams underscore T-E-W for the enemy within. So joewilliams underscore T-E-W. That's on both my Instagram and Twitter. And my Facebook is The Enemy Within, um, I can't remember what it is, The Enemy Within Suicide Prevention, um, Trauma Recovery and Mental Health Awareness or something like that. But if you look up The Enemy Within, we'll find you. John Williams and The Enemy Within, my head will pop up somewhere. Mate, it's been great talking to you and thanks for coming on the Reset Podcast. Mate, it's uh, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks heaps. Cheers, buddy. Ciao.